Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. So I was evacuated out, not knowing if I'd be able to go back and with a, you know, kind of with a go bag and um, not knowing what was going to happen. Have you ever wondered what happens when a missionary has to evacuate unexpectedly? What happens to their ministry? What happens to what's going on? Well, that's one of the things we're going to talk about today in the Engaging Missions show. This is episode 224 with Beth Ann Watkins. Welcome to the Engaging Missions show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We want to see the body of Christ fully engaged in God's mission on the earth. This show is made possible in part by generous support from listeners like you. Visit engagingmissions.com slash patron to learn more about how you can be involved. This week, we're going to be talking about unexpected exits, about health challenges, about reintegration, and a whole lot more. I'm also going to have for you a podcast recommendation brought to you by missionalaudio.com. But before we get to that, I'd also like to just very quickly welcome Judy, Jimena, Chad, Michael, and Anthony, who all recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you'd like to do that, you can visit facebook.com slash engagingmissions. Now, as we head into our time with our guest today, I'd just like to challenge you to listen to her heart and some of the incredible things that God has done in and through her through unexpected circumstances. I think you're going to find this really exciting. All right, today I'm incredibly happy to have with me Beth Watkins. She grew up in a small town in Delaware. She spent the last six years or so working in northern and then sub-Saharan Africa with street children, with refugees, with a vulnerable population. Now she's back in the U.S. along with her husband, who's actually an immigrant, and they're in the process of integrating back into the, into the life here. So, Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here, Brian. Oh, this is totally my pleasure, and I'm so glad that you you reached out. I think, was it Gina Thomas that connected us? Yeah, it was. She actually told me about your show, and I listened to a lot of episodes, and I was really encouraged. Yeah, I love I love listening to your podcast, so it's really an honor to be here. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow, thanks. I'm, I'm blushing a little bit on this side. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> So, so let's go ahead and jump right in, because I, I remember you mentioning earlier that you actually, I think you got kicked out of the first country that you lived in while you were overseas. What was up with that? I did. Um, yeah, so I moved over to um, a closed country in North Africa. I'm a predominantly Muslim country, and I'd, yeah, I'd been living there for two years. It was a dream come true. I was learning the language and working with street kids. And I had my visa through language school. I was learning Arabic and like, I, mm. I, I loved it. I was living my dream and it was, it was hard, but it was everything I'd always wanted to do. You know, and I was in the process I'm about two years in of talking with my team about like what my long-term plan was and, you know, if I was, like, like, was I going to teach or, you know, how, like what my platform was going to be to be able to stay in the country. And about that time, persecution really started increasing in the country. Mm. We heard about, you know, 
things coming up with church land and the government and other areas of the country, people needing to other expats kind of being forced out of other parts of the country. So we'd kind of heard like, you know, whispers of things like that happening. And then we, where we were living, we started hearing about kind of a few people being taken in and and stuff like that. Yeah. And then so one day I was in my, I was in Arabic class in my language school and yeah, some security men came in and (laughs) took me and my classmates in. They took my phone and my passport and my school books and everything. And yeah, I was, I was interrogated that day and it was the start of about two weeks of being followed and escorted home by security and kind of not being sure what was going to happen if we could stay or what was going to happen with the, the boy centers where I was working because they were on church mm-hmm. land. And in the end, I was, I was, I was expelled and I was made very clear that I was not welcome, welcome back. And yeah, it was, and since then, I mean, persecution in the country has just really increased mm-hmm. as well. So while my experience was tra- traumatic for me, it was, a, it was, it was a really, really difficult, quite scary experience at the time. But God was very faithful. Yeah, I mean, a lot of national believers have been imprisoned. And, you know, I know some torture that's happened and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was hard for me, but it was definitely much harder for national friends and, and things like that. So, yeah, it was pretty devastating at the time. Yeah. And, and you know, as you're, as you're talking about that, you, you, you started to go there. But my mind immediately went to two questions, right? One was... How long were you there? But then I think the more important question was, is this part of the normal life for people who are Christians and live in that particular country? You kind of mentioned that it was. Can you maybe share a little bit more about the reality of their daily lives? Yeah, I mean, so I've, I've tried to keep in loose touch with a few people and stuff. I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's a country that hasn't, you know, smiled widely at, <laughs> at Christianity for a long time. It's predominantly Muslim. And yeah, I, I think for national believers, it's it's really tough. So obviously some some history there with different things and how things have changed over time. But yeah, as of right now, I think some some church leaders we know if we're in prison and we're let out of prison and, you know, might be back and stuff. I think I think it's really hard. I think it's a difficult place to to be a believer because people know that you're yeah, you're a believer and it, it just it it does heap on a lot of persecution and unwanted attention. And yeah, it, the questions of safety for people's families, for their wives and their kids and things like that. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough as far as day a day, what it was like. I mean, it was obviously much different. Mm-hmm. Me being there as a, a white Westerner that, you know, the assumption was that, that I was a, I was a Christian, which I was, mm-hmm. um, I am, but you know, that there's obviously much different treatment than if I'm a fellow countryman who doesn't believe the same thing as, as someone else. So, so I was, aside from the experience with security, you know, treated very warmly and welcomed and, like experience kind of extreme hospitality in that country. But Mm. for national believers, it was very, very different, much harder, much more precarious. And like the worst that was going to happen to me was that I would be kicked out. And the worst that can happen to anyone else is, you know, much worse things without any necessarily legal recourse. Mm. So, so for us here, where we are right now, I'm in the U S you're in the U S most of the listeners right now are in North America. How, how would the believers there ask us to pray for them? I think they would just say pray for to pray for them. I think I had a lot of conversations with believers in my time there, just being like, why don't Americans do more? Why don't other countries do more? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was like, I, th- I think they don't know. Like, you know, I, I talk about it, you know, I try to, you know, raise people's awareness and stuff. And I think just like to, to know, know that it's happening, to talk about it. And I think, I don't know, kind of, and this is a, maybe a more, a more personal thing, but I think when, 
you, you hear a little bit sometimes of some people in Western countries starting to say, like, we're being persecuted as Christians. <laughs> and I think that's actually incredibly in, insulting to believers who are, you know, whose, whose lives and livelihoods and families and very, you know, personal bodies are, you know, are, are at stake. And so I think mm. for national you know, believers in the States, one, just be praying for them, be aware, you know, try to read up and stay up on things if it's something that you care about. And then also, yeah, I mean, try to, you know, use it to put into perspective kind of your own situations. So so your experience there when you, 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 this happened, I think you said it was about two weeks or so that this, this whole thing lasted from the time that security came and got you until they said, yeah, see you later, please don't come back. How did God see you through that stressful time, that new experience in your life? Yeah, it was, like I learned through that experience and I, I knew it before in small ways, but like God is faithful. I think one of the, the, the one day that really sticks out to me is it, it was because this all happened around Christmas time, which was also very poignant in the season of Advent mm. and longing and, yeah. you know, waiting for God's son to come. I think, so I was um, one, one afternoon I was, I was told to come back into security. And, you know, that day I was closed alone in the room with the head of security and a lot of people in that country have like beds in their office for afternoon naps hmm. and stuff. And so, you know, as being, you know, a, a young, a young single woman, I, it was obviously, I felt it was, it was an extremely, you know, whatever precarious situation. Things, a lot of things could have gone hmm. wrong, but so I, I, but I, but I sat in that room and it was for about an hour of these questions that I didn't necessarily want to answer. And he was asking me in Arabic, which later I found out my other friends who were being questioned have been questioned in English, but I was questioned Arabic and it actually was a grace because as I was kind of answering questions that were hard to answer, I could kind of stumble over the Arabic and think about what I actually wanted to say. Well, I could pretend I was like searching for the right word or, you know, mm. that it was like ask for clarification or whatever. But also like I, I sitting in that room, I, I didn't feel scared. And then there's Paul says in one of his letters, like when, when the time is right, that like God will give you the words that you need. And like, he did, like he did like stuff. I didn't know how to answer. And I'm not always great at thinking quick on my feet. I'm a more cerebral person. I take a long time to think about things, but like the words were off my tongue. I knew what to say. I knew how to say it. And I, hmm. you know, I wasn't aware of the danger I was in at the time, which for me was quite a grace because I was even like I was, I was even a little bit like snarky with my questioner, which I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm embarrassed about or proud of. Um, but like I, I went home that night, you know, and that night all of a sudden kind of like my stomach turned and I realized like, you know, like kind of fear seized me in the night after everything had happened. But like in the times, in the moments, like God was faithful, like God saw me through, you know, and if, even if something like worse were to have happened or whatever, like God, God would have still been faithful. Like it, it was just like, I look back and I'm like, like I was so protected. Like I felt this shield of protection on me and it was just like the most incredible thing. It's not necessarily something I want to live through again, but it was like, it was, yeah, like God was just so incredibly faithful. You mentioned that you don't want to live through it again. And I can certainly <laughs> agree with that having not been through it myself. And, you know, as I look back at, at my life, I see that many of the mm -hmm. times when I grow the most or I learn the most, those are also the mm -hmm. difficult times where I have to really rely on God. How, how, yeah. did, uh, how did God teach you or lead you through this? Well, how did God change you through this? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I hope it has made me like a, I think kind of, go 
I've found when you go through more difficult and challenging experiences in your life, it can really make you a more compassionate and empathetic person. So I've, I've always, you know, been one to be moved to tears easily and things like that. But I think actually kind of having experienced in some small way, some of the emotions of like being scared, feeling powerless, you know, not being sure what was going to happen to me, you know, a, a sense of loss of this place that I had loved and thought I would live in for, you know, at least 20 years, which is, is you know, a very a very small loss compared to what a lot of people go through. But I think God has really used that, especially going on to work with refugees and stuff like that later on to kind of in some small way, being able to experience that loss and to be able to really sit with people in their grief instead of trying to offer easy answers, like knowing deep sadness and knowing that God is with us in that deep sadness, but it doesn't take away the deep sadness when we feel, you know, hurt or grief or sad, like just being able to sit in it with people more comfortably without feeling like I need to offer, you know, easy answers or anything to it. Mm, that's good. Let's let's back the, the train up a little bit right now, because we kind of started in the middle of the story, right, where you, you got kicked out, but sure. that's not when God called you. Can we, can we kind of back ourselves up now and go, okay, yeah. what, how, did, how did that calling on your life, how did, how did God start you doing what you're doing? Yeah. So I was a very unconventional child. I'm a middle child. I always <laughs> meant to be different and, you know, kind of like do the unconventional thing and kind of stuff to my poor parents. Um, but yeah, so from a young age, I, I grew up in a Christian home. So I was always surrounded by, you know, people who loved God. I grew up in church and, you know, faith was always a really big part of my life. And then it kind of teenage years, really kind of claiming that faith is my own and trying really to figure out in my own life what it meant to follow Jesus and stuff like that. So as a kid, I'd always been fascinated with other parts of the world. And, you know, I did a lot of reading kind of in like, when I was like 16, 17, um, a lot of books on the faith. Like I was like, really wanted to know God, to love God. And what it like, what did that mean? How could I follow God with my life? And yeah, that conclusion led me to like, to missions to living overseas and to loving the unloved. And for me, that was how I could be the most faithful to God. So yeah, it set my trajectory pretty early on, 15, 16, 17. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't look back. I, I looked pretty, like pretty single-minded, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go overseas, live in a developing country, work with vulnerable, vulnerable people. Yeah. So it was, a, it was, I mean, not a lifelong thing, but like it pretty soon on in my life, I mm. like that, that was what I was going to do. And I'm like, I'm, I got to do it. It was a dream come true. Like I'm really, I'm really grateful for it. As you look back at that time, when, when God was calling you, when you were sort of walking in that 15, 16, 17 year old range, do you, do you have any Ebenezer's or any sort of landmarks in your life when you can look back to that and go, this is a time when God was really speaking to me, or this is a time when God really made something clear for me? I think, I think there were a few, a few like different confirmations along the way. Yeah. I think like a, a couple of like youth conferences and stuff like that. I do remember in my freshman year of college, like the very first week I had like kind of said like, yeah, this would be my major, like cross-cultural studies, school of religion kind of stuff. And then, yeah, there was just this like one, I don't even remember what it was, what sermon, whatever. But I remember sitting there and being like, okay, yes confirmation like this is this is what I'm doing and I, I do like during that time as well I'd read a lot of books like not just missionaries but other people in ministry or you know people who had chosen to really follow God in, in radical ways and really feeling like they were speaking right to me yeah uh, that that's incredible and as you started walking that out you started walking toward the undisclosed country that we talked about earlier mm -hmm. 
did you have any goals when you were starting out or like, did, did you have, I, I've got this image of my, in my mind of a finish line, but I'm not quite sure that's where we're headed. But did, did you have anything where you're going that that's where I'm headed? This is what I'm supposed to do or to be about. Vaguely, not in super specific ways. I knew I was kind of grateful and self-aware enough to going out knowing that like I didn't really know what I was mm-hmm. like. I didn't really know anything. I mean, I had plenty of training and all of that going out, but my goal was really like faithfulness. Like this is what, you know, and I think that, you know, it still is, it just looks different now, but like, but, like faithfulness, like I want to love the unloved. I want, you know, I want to people without hope, like I want to try to give them hope. So for me, like my, my goals were like quite, quite vague, but I, mm. yeah, I, yeah. It's it's really intriguing to me that your goals were about as clear as my ability to ask that last question. So it's it's kind of like it's going full circle. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Now you you spent some time in that country. Then I think you went to Sudan, and then you spent also some time in Egypt. Do I have that right? So um, yeah. So after okay. I was booted from my first country, I came back to the states for a couple of months to kind of lick my wounds and get some counseling and stuff. And mm-hmm. then I ended up moving to South Sudan. The hope was to try to find an open door back into the country that I had left, but it closed door. Like could not could not go back. Yeah. So I was in South Sudan. I kind of ended up. God was extremely providential. I was the week I landed. I found the Street Girls Project. I wanted me to come live there and do similar work to what I was doing previously. I mean, it was this perfect fit, and I was exhausted because I was living with forty street kids. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was really fulfilling and really good. And that's where I met my now husband. Okay. And so we just started dating, and then that was December twenty thirteen when kind of war broke out in South Sudan. So I ended up being evacuated out after a couple of days in city at war, which was another obviously extremely hard experience. Yeah. And then kind of back and forth to South Sudan and Kenya, kind of deciding it was safe and what we were doing. And then, yeah, then my husband and I got married. He joined on with my organization. We spent many months um, traveling, doubling our support. And then we, because we'd found in Cairo, this perfect opportunity working with a refugee organization out of the church with, with African and Syrian refugees. Mm. So it was this great, so that's how we ended up in Cairo, sort of roundabout. Didn't mean to move around so much. It's just kind of what happened. Yeah. Let's back up just for a second, because this is now you, you got kicked out of a country and then you had to leave a country because of a conflict, and now you've left yeah. for, for another reason. We'll kind of talk about that in a second. But I'm just wondering, yeah. if, if you were to go back and look at yourself on the day that you were leaving South Sudan, what were the emotions or the thoughts of having to walk away from everything you've invested your life in for the last few months or the last few years? Yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, I, so I was evacuated out not knowing if I'd be able to go back that, you know, kind of with a go bag and um, not knowing what was going to happen. The, the girl center was in good hands. The director had released me to leave. Mm. So that was tough. But then I did end up going back and kind of leaving that again, I think was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really hard because it's, you know, it was the second country I'd come to love the mm-hmm. second group of people I'd come to love. Like I, I, I love people really fast and I get really invested really quickly. I don't really do anything heartedly. And so I think it, yeah, I, I mean, looking back, I think it was, I mean, God's definitely been faithful and, and met me in that, but it's been, it's been really hard having to leave so many places. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't. What, what's going through your mind on that day when you're having to leave South Sudan the second time you're having to say goodbye yeah. again, what, what's going through your mind? Why? Like, God, like, like, 
why, like, I, yeah, I think there was, I, I don't ask why of God often, mm-hmm. but, I, you know, kind of this, and not necessarily needing an answer, but just this, like, plea in my heart of, like, what's, what was the point of all that? Like, why did all of that have to go down the way that it did? Why have I, like, you know, there was war happening, too, so a lot of why of, like, why is there kind of this suffering and this war, and, like, why did, why did you bring me here for such a short amount of time? Like, what was what was the point of any of that? And, you know, obviously that's a, you know, God is good and faithful and he's used all yeah. that. But I think really in that moment, the plea is like the cry of my heart was just like, what was the point of all that? Like, why did I have to be so hurt? Do I have to see people so hmm. hurt? Have I seen and experienced so much? And like, now I have to leave again. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, when I look through the Psalms, I see David doing the same thing, right? He's looking at his situation yeah. to go, man, God, this really stinks. But then just like you did, he's, he's reminded, he reminds himself, but God is good. Mm-hmm. God is big. God will yeah. see me through this. And I appreciate that about you and about what I've seen in your life. As, as I look through the story we've talked about so far, it seems like the, the through line, obviously there's a God story in the middle of this, but it seems like the specific way he tends to use you is by taking care of those who are vulnerable or vulnerable to oppression. Is that, is that accurate? I hope so. That's my, like, that's the, my heart is, yeah, the vulnerable, the oppressed, like, like seeking justice and using my life to be a voice if I can, but also to try to meet needs and to love people. Yeah, I hope, I hope that's true. <laughs> so, so does, does your husband walk in a similar calling? Yeah, I mean, he was working for an NGO. We met in South Sudan. Yeah, so he, but he, he's, he's, you know, he's a believer, pastor's kid. Grew up. He's my husband's British, mm. so a different kind of evangelicalism. But yeah. yeah, so he, yeah, he, he's definitely a believer, and he felt, you know, from a call in his life to to live in that part of the world as well, and went at it a different way. And then, yeah, then when we met and tried, you know just trying to decide what we were going to do, what was that going to look like is kind of like, these are the, the doors that open for us. And yeah. So w- whether it's in ministry or not, his heart is really for very similar things. You know, he's, he's a grant writer and really wants to help make, you know, make people's lives better and bring them hope. So. Okay. And, and then you moved after Sudan, you went to Egypt, you got married, you were there for, for a while, I, be, I believe. What was it that prompted you to leave and then come back to the U S yeah, so we we got married after we both left South Sudan, and then we traveled around qu- quite a bit, actually, frantically doubling our support because mm. we couldn't live in each other's country. So, um, <laughs> nice. As fast as we could. Yeah, and so then we, we landed in Egypt, and so we were there for just under two years, which again was not as, a lot shorter than we had planned on. But yeah, so we were working with a refugee in the side of the church, and it was a perfect fit work-wise for both of us, and very fulfilling, tough, but very good. Yeah, but the week that we landed, I started having some health problems, and it was, it was quite quite scary to both of us, mm. it, this like pain that I was experiencing and stuff. And yeah, we tried to deal with it living there. We tried to have me cut back at work. And then we came back to the States after we'd been there for six months for me to get some more tests because I was getting all kinds of tests and kind of nothing mm. was coming up. But my health was getting worse and I was starting to have a lot of chronic fatigue and I had to cut back at work even more. And eventually, it, quite quite soon after our trip back from the States, it became clear that this life there was going to be untenable for us, that I needed mm. to come back. Yeah, to to the States for a while. So we started the green card process for my husband and that took about 11 months, which was, yeah, it's (laughs) a whole other thing, but like the green card process, (laughs) yeah, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart either, but yeah. So 
sorry, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, so we we loved our work, but it was it was really hard. We were kind of watching me get sicker and sicker, and obviously very scary. We were we were newlyweds, far from home, sorry for my family back here. And but yeah, so that because of my health and trying need answers and just needing to get out of a stressful situation. Yeah, we've we've made the hard decision to leave the field and come back to the states for the foreseeable future. That, that's it, it's it's incredible to hear that, and I'm sure that it was a challenging season to go through. I'm wondering. I, I was talking to a gentleman this morning who the the way that he and his wife had chose to walk out their calling was partially based on preference and where they felt God was leading them, but then also based on some medical stuff because they had some specific medical things that they were concerned about. And I'm wondering, do you, mm-hmm. do you look at this and go, "This was God guiding us to the next season of our life," or how, how do you look at this season? Yeah, well, I'm still very much in it. I think I'm still speaking kind of from mm. a wound instead of a scar. So I'm I'm not I'm not sure yet. I think yeah I, I yeah I, I think God. One thing I'm kind of learning is maybe it doesn't come all at once or right away. But I, I feel like at least in my life, it's been true that God doesn't let a dream die without giving us something else to like hope and live for and be excited about. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I so so you know as as we're just chatting here, I'm thinking, okay, you've you've had at least three countries that I know of that you've you've spent some time in, and that God has moved in in you pretty powerfully, and you've had a pretty strong focus or a pretty strong purpose in in that. Now that you're here mm-hmm. in the states, are you able to continue walking in that? I I hope so. So we we had a few months of like home leave where our organization kind of let us stay on support and just take some time because we were extremely burned out and I was very unwell and I'm slowly getting better, but it's still not not all the way there yet. But so we, so we, my husband just got a, a job and we've just moved cities and state. So we've been in a new place for about six weeks. So I'm still looking for work. I'm, I want to keep working with low-income immigrant refugee populations, kind of stuff like that. And it hasn't happened yet, but I have a lot of hope that it will. It's it's still what I feel like is my life work vocation. You know, I would love if I find somewhere to keep speaking Arabic, hmm. but yeah, hopefully it'll come. It hasn't come yet, but I, 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 I hope that it will. I'm still very much in it at the moment. So D- does that... Does that mess with your sense of self? Yes, <laughs> very much. Um, yes, yeah. I mean, my from the time I was sixteen, which is you know almost half my life now, thirty-one. All I talked about was like, I'm going to live in Africa and I'm going to work with orphans, and you know, and I, I was able to do it, and I'm so grateful for it. But that's, but now like that's not that's not who I am anymore. Like I had this unconventional life that I loved, and it was hard. Um, and it, made me sick, but <laughs> stress trauma long-term is real, builds up. But yeah, I, I, so yeah, we're, we're back now and we're just settling into kind of a new life is like, my husband works a nine to five and like, I'm looking hmm. for work. And yeah, it's like, like, you know, I think the first question that you get in America and in most Western countries after what's your name is, what do you do right, so right now? Like, I don't do anything <laughs> like I like vocationally, like I'm, I'm, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. And I think that's really hard because before being able to say like, Oh, I work with refugees in Cairo. And, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I, you know, part, like obviously was very passionate. Like I was very passionate at work, but obviously like it was also, you know, it was nice to have an answer to that. And now I, I don't. And so that's, it's very difficult to try to, and, and to think about who, like, who am I going to be now? Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. 
Yeah, I, I remember when my wife was transitioning, we'd had our first kid, and so she was going to stay home with the kid, or the now the kids after that. And I remember the transition for her was, was a little tough to go from an office yeah. where you you have goals and you have you know, somewhat instant feedback from people who actually talk to you and tell you what they want. And that was a, that was a tough transition Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, going from what you guys were doing prior to now living in the U S and working a nine to five. Is that, how how is that transition for your husband? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I think he's enjoying, you know, working kind of out of a a small NGO in the church, he kind of got a lot of work <laughs> extra piled onto him and kind of stuff. Like I think yeah. ministries kind of operate that way because they're usually kind of operating very shoestring. So I think he's enjoying a bizarre of him um, and without someone dropping giant projects into his lap in the middle of, you know, on a Friday afternoon <laughs> or something like that. So I think for him, he's kind of doing similar work, grant writing and things mm. like that. So I think for him, the transition is a bit easier than for me. Yeah. My, my skill set is a bit less defined. My, my skill set is difficult to put on a resume, hmm. which makes it hard. But his is, is resumeable, so it's <laughs> really, not so bad for him. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting perspective. I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I, I really appreciate you being so open with your life because it can be really difficult to share this kind of stuff with a stranger or with a bunch, bunch of strangers. So I don't, I don't take that lightly. As we begin to shift our focus more toward our listeners, a lot of the people who listen yeah. to this show are either feeling called into full-time vocational ministry, either missions or church planting, mm-hmm. but aren't quite there yet, or they care deeply, but that's not really their calling. And in that situation, sometimes it can start to feel like you, you're not making progress or that what you're doing doesn't matter. What mm-hmm. would you share with somebody if you were sitting down having coffee with them and they said, hey, I don't know if what I'm doing or where I'm headed, I don't know if this is going to make a difference at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say two things. First, after college, I spent about three years, two and a half, three years waiting tables to pay off my student loans, trying to get overseas. Three years isn't that long, but it felt really long at the time. And like, I had, had a lot of days wondering if I would ever get there, if I, mm. you know, and, and I did. So first I would say, like, I would just testify, like, God's faithfulness in my life in getting me to the place that I'd hoped he would, where I felt called to. The second thing I would say is that, you know, God's And a thing that's like kind of been shifting in my thinking is I've been going through this transition in my life is like God calls us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. Mm -hmm. So whether you're, you're doing the specific work you feel called to yet or not, like where are the neighbors around you to love? Like where are the neighbors you, you know, forgot to look for around you? Where, where are your enemies? Like how, yeah, like where are the people around you or where are the the marginalized or the vulnerable people around you? Or, you know, is there any way in your life that you can, I don't know, being a voice for the oppressed and what you are now and stuff. And just, I think, yeah, just opening our eyes to actually the ways, the millions of ways that our lives intersect with the lives of other people and how we can use those opportunities to, to love our neighbors and to, to love our enemies, whoever we might consider that to be. So, yeah. And then God will like, for me, God, God, God got me there. Like, I, I think, you know, God doesn't always give us our dreams, but I do think if he puts things in our heart, he really is going to help us fulfill those things if they're for his good purposes. Wow, that that's good. And that's a that's a really deep perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. It's it's difficult, right, to look out and go, that person's my enemy and God's called me to love them. And, and we need to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's not comfortable, but we need to hear that. So I appreciate oh. you sharing that. Is there a book or a resource that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? 
Yeah, so I'm a very avid reader, so I have a couple of ideas, if that's okay. Yeah. First, Walter Brueggemann, especially his books of sermons, were really good for me the last few years going through big seasons of confusion, like not really understanding why I was getting sick and kind of where God was going to be leading us next. And that those were really encouraging for me. Another book is a great book by D.L. Mayfield. It's called Assimilate or Go Home. And it's similar to this a different story, but it's kind of come to similar conclusions that I have about wanting to go out and be like this, this savior and save people and actually realizing that God's heart is really for the poor and oppressed, whether we're here, or whether we go there. And then lastly, I would say, I think in order to, to love people well, um, people that were, especially people that we're different from, it's really important to try to understand their perspectives and where they come from, that, mm. you know, to walk in their shoes as much as we can. And Voice of Witness and, um, puts out a lot of great books of perspectives that have really helped me open my worldview and help me from, instead of being judgmental of other people, to really try to understand where they come from. And that helps me to love them better, especially people who are different than me. Wow. Great resources. Thank you for sharing those. How can we best pray? Sorry, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, how can we best pray for you? Yeah, I think like I I would really love to see my health fully restored. I like I would I would really like to be well, to have the energy I used to have, to not be in pain, you know, regularly. So I think a big one is like for healthy restored, I'd love to be able to live wholeheartedly instead of halfway for a lot of the things that I'm passionate about again. And also as well, like it's a big transition. I thought I was going to be living overseas until I was retirement age and that hasn't happened. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of sadness there, a lot of grief about um, losing a life that I loved tremendously about losing relationships with people I love tremendously. Yeah. And yeah, so I think, I think those two things, my health and just for, to find God's purpose for me in this transition. Yeah. That's good. And for, for those of you that are listening, I'd like to encourage you to just take a minute right now to do that. Stop the recording and take a minute to pray for, for best health and for this transition. And I, I don't want to gloss over the transition because from what I've heard, oftentimes that transition away from what you felt God was calling you to, to something else, that can be really hard, even if you know that God's leading you. So I'd, I'd ask you very specifically pray for that because I believe that God has something powerful in Beth's life, and I believe that he's going to do great things, and I would ask you to also pray that God would do that. Beth, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Brian. It's been a pleasure and a joy. Thank you. I had an absolutely wonderful time talking with Beth Watkins, and I hope that you really enjoyed our conversation as well. Before I let you go, though, I do want to let you know about another podcast that you might want to check out. You can find it at missionalaudio.com. This is the No Campus Left podcast, where they discuss current issues relating to collegiate culture and ministry. Their goal is No Campus Left without a reproducing gospel presence. I would, I would encourage you to check that out, especially if you're interested in ministry to college-age students or in seeing No Place Left, consider also No Campus Left. I think it's a great show, and it's in my list. I think it might be well-suited in yours as well. My thanks to Beth Ann Watkins for taking the time to be with us today. I really appreciate what she did, and I also appreciate that you joined us. Without her and without you, this would just be me talking to myself, so it would be pretty dull. I'd also like to say thank you to Jeff and Gabby for the incredible work that they do to help make this podcast possible. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Beth Watkins. That is the best way to connect with our guests and also to find links to the valuable resources we talked about. 
make sure that you come back in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking with a missionary who's been in Guatemala for a while now about some of the healing and some of the powerful ways that he's seen God move over decades of ministry spanning multiple continents. I think you're really going to enjoy that. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure that you don't miss that, especially since it's going to be a couple of weeks before that comes up. And if you've found this valuable, please find somebody who you think would benefit from hearing this. I would really appreciate it if you could share with somebody who really would benefit from what we talked about. You might be the person that God uses to bring this information to them so that they could be equipped, challenged, or inspired and provide valuable resources to expand his kingdom. One more time, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you and I'm really looking forward to connecting in just a couple of weeks.